0: This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today it's time to go before the judges. Did they actually file those charges? I told you never to mention that, Paul. Sorry. No, no, Sorry. This, this is, this is a, little, a little more benign. It's about judging wines. Ah. <laughs> we're going to tell folks how those gold medals really get awarded. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're going to peel back the curtain on wine competitions. We have listener questions asking how heat and light and cold change our wine. Our food and wine pairing is one of my favorite summer dishes. And as usual, we will make fun of wine stops. Stay with us. <laughs> listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are peeling back the curtain on wine competitions. I hope it's not a shower curtain. No, no, no. We're doing. We're going in depth. We've. We're, we're digging deep to reveal insider secrets. Really, it's an expose. That sounds like a shower curtain. Yeah, a little too TV tabloid, you think? Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, how about we just tell people how wine competitions work and what they mean to wine drinkers. Cool.
1: That I can do with that. All right. All right. There is a curtain, you know, by the way. There, a yeah, there is a curtain. between That's the, right.
0: the back room and the judges. And, you know, but until I became the chief judge of the State Fair
1: you Wine Competition a few years ago, I was never allowed back there. Never yeah. allowed. I have never been allowed back there. You know,
0: I am not the chief judge anymore, but I am doing some work for them. And, and uh, was before the competition a couple of weeks ago, I was walking in to go ask a question of these guys that I'm doing some work for on something else. And they're going, you can't come back here <laughs> like totally
1: now, is it true that you were removed from your position as the head judge because they found out what you were wearing underneath that robe?
0: No, it's not true. It's that they thought I was incompetent. No, actually, it was not at all. It was it was a time issue. Oh, um, well. Uh, uh, but, you know, actually, what happens back there is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, because you, you, we hear about wine competitions. This gun got a gold medal. This one got a silver medal, et cetera. But I don't think people realize what big logistical operations these massive, things are. Massive. You
0: think about something like Safe Competition, which is one of the bigger ones, we get three thousand plus wines. And it takes a small army. And you know, we it's not just I mean, there's a lot of things that they have to do.
1: And there's literally we have a couple of hundred volunteers
0: for that. You know, yeah. and they're doing everything from tracking to opening to
1: pouring to delivering to recording the well, data. As the wines come in, of course, first thing is you gotta decide these wines are judged in groups in classes so you got to decide does this wine go in the Chardonnay class? Does it go in the Sauvignon Blanc class? That's easy. You look at the label. But then is it a late harvest? Is it a sweet wine? Is it a dry wine? All of those sorts of things are these various – that's a huge amount of prep work before we as judges sit down and start actually tasting these well, wines. And,
0: and among the things you do is you order the wine so that there's no great contrast. In essence, what we well, – we, Right. You know, in like low sugar to high sugar. Because if you're tasting some very dry reds and then, well, there could be a red with 2% sugar that would count as a dry – Cabernet, for example, yeah. um, that one's going to pop and it's going to taste very differently. And yeah. same thing
1: with alcohol levels. And, and the other thing that happens is once you get one of those red wines that has a little sugar in it, the next wine that doesn't right. have that sugar is going to suddenly taste very tart. As a judge, you have to be aware of that, but as a competition organizer, you try to adjust that by trying to you try to guess how those wines will flow in that order and you try to avoid those kinds of issues. And you try
0: to, you tend to go light to dark but you also, you know, my theory had always been we we taste some of the bigger wines early in the day and save things like whites for when people's palates are a little more tired Mm -hmm. so that by then they'll be refreshing. There's another piece to this too which is that it is making sure that the wines are all treated the same. So one of the parts of the logistics is knowing when to pour. We track each
1: panel. Yeah, particularly hard with sparkling Wine.
0: Right. Oh, that's even more difficult. And I know you have judged Sparkling at, the, at that competition in the past. Yep. Yep. And the idea is to get them to you at the same temperatures right. for one. We call, they call them sitting on the wall, which is the, the, the flight is waiting to be delivered. Right. They don't want it to sit. Every flight should sit on the wall at the same time. Right. And that's a right. very difficult thing. So, and,
1: and all of this matters. You know, I've worked in competitions. I've judged competitions, rather, where we were informed that the, the two wines were just delivered that morning and that were included in the flight and that's why the numbers are handwritten instead of printed out of the computer program and you just see you just get a glass with with a with a number right, on it right right but of course as we're tasting through those wines the other thing we realize is Six of those wines are identical in terms of temperature, and the last two are 15 degrees warmer because some clowns just drove hand them in. delivered them, yeah. just drove them in, yep. and they taste different than the other ones. Right.
0: And as a judge, you try to sort of factor in all those things, but it still affects the wine. I mean, I think this is an interesting thing is about what, how, how the tasting actually
1: goes. Right, because all of that logistical stuff we've been talking about just sets n- it up. Never appears. Right. As a judge, I'm just sitting at a table, and, and a wine shows m- up. magically wine shows up. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm telling you, it, it really is. Uh, for me, the, especially the first time, um, you know, I was running that. I mean, we had all the volunteers who knew how all the things worked. It was really good boy, thing because you didn't have a clue. Oh, gosh, did you? No. Uh, it is, <laughs> yeah, I still don't. And a few years now, yeah. Um, but it is, uh, it is something that you really you spend so much energy managing in a way that you hope your judges don't see. Because right. they're not supposed to be paying attention. They're supposed right. to the pay only attention thing to the they're wine. supposed to be paying
1: attention to is somebody just brought them 10 glasses of wine, more or less identical wine, wine from the same category and all the rest.
0: Yeah. And in most cases, in most competitions, well, uh, the uh, exception is Concord Modial, where you don't know the wine, right?
1: Right, that's right.
0: Um, but in most cases, you at least know the wine, and in some cases, you know the region. Mm-hmm. And S- some right. competitions say the price. I-, I happen not to like that, but yeah. that's just me. Yeah. Um,
1: so, but you're sitting there with a panel of three, possibly four judges. In Concours Mondial in Europe, it's five judges, and so th- you are you all get the same wines. And the first thing you do is you taste through all of those wines without saying a word to anybody.
0: And, and either give a score, make yourself some notes. Right. Uh, you know, Each one of you medal. is
1: responsible for judging those wines exactly the way you perceive those wines.
0: Right. And when you do that—now, some people smell all of them first. Some people just smell and taste. What do you do?
1: I just write the words. I don't bother tasting the wines. I mean, what's—no. Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. No, in fact, I do something that's sort of unusual because— Every judge that I've ever worked with, with a couple of exceptions, always tastes and smells and does everything. They smell the wines left to right. They taste the wines left to right. They may taste them a second time left to right. And as they're doing this, they're taking their scores and they're good to go. I always start right to left.
0: But, you know, you're sort of going against the light to the heavy, so you're going for the biggest.
1: I sort of am, but at the same time, I frequently find that because that order isn't very predictable, people who are are ordering those wines aren't always convinced of how it should work. Um, What I find, first of all, two things. If there is a bad glass, if one of the wines, for example, had a bad cork, and it's particularly way over on the right, the rest of my judges won't notice that until they're done with all the other wines. I find it first thing, which means that allows me to say, excuse me, wine number nine, problem here, we need another glass. That gets, you know how hard that is. It's got to go back into the back room. They got to find the second bottle. They got to pour it. They got to bring it out. All that takes time. So I'm helping the whole panel by doing things that way. The other thing I frequently find is I'll come along and I'll suddenly say, you know, we get to wine number five and I will say, I gave this wine a gold medal. And the other people say, I gave it a bronze. I didn't think it had much. And I said... Taste this wine without tasting number four in front of it, because I came at it from the other direction. Wine number four was one of these big, ripe, fat, alcoholic wines with tons of color, tons of flavor, and the wine after it seemed a little no. But I came at it from the other direction. I came at it from wine number six, which was a perfectly normal wine, and wine number five just saying, And you know what? It's amazing the number of times the judges come back and say, you know, you're right.
0: Yeah. It really true. is a good wine. Well, it sounds like in ours, we do order them, you know, in order of sugar and then within sugar by alcohol. So right. that, that but shouldn't happen. But, all
1: of that is based on what the wineries tell you the sugar is, which is isn't that.
0: always accurate. That's, that's absolutely true. What I do is I go back and forth. Um, I generally, uh-huh. I sometimes I start with one you or two. You don't just I'll, go around in circles. N- yes. Uh, well, that's <laughs> general. That's me in life is walking in circles. Okay, but now and then I'll just, I'll, I'll just taste number four. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. heck, you know, and then taste number seven, and then I'll and then I'll go in order. And then the wines that that stand out to me in either direction, whether the, I, right. I find them outstanding or not, good, not good, I will make a note, but I won't actually make a score. And then I'll go back and taste from the other direction and, and sort of confirm. And what I found, actually, is as I do that, I'm almost always, the, I'm always accurate on my confirmation, you know, that, uh-huh. that it was what I liked and what I didn't like. But I always save, make sure there's enough, too, because then this is the next piece that we need to explain to folks, is that what happens is after they get a score is that then the judges talk about it. We all talk about it. And, you know, and I've been asked, you know, about this, and I've always said that, you know, wine is an intellectual exercise, too. And I think that that is a big part of it. Is thinking about it helps you. It's different from, if you know, a, a, an everyday consumer, Tuesday night wine as we call it, you know. But if you're saying, is this a great wine or not, um, talking about it, making yourself thinking about it is, I think, an important piece of it.
1: Well, and, and it's a and, bit – I always describe it a little bit as like going on a hike with a group of four people. One guy has a tendency to head up, looking around. God, did you see the mountain over there? Wow, look at the clouds over there. You got somebody else going along on the hike saying, Look down here, there's this tiny little flower mm-hmm. by the side mm-hmm. of the trail. Mm-hmm. All of that's part of the hike. Right. right so right, by right. sharing that information amongst the judges, sometimes one of them can say, you know, you're absolutely right. The view of the mountain wasn't that great. But when you think about this wine as really a great close-up of this little flower, it's a really nicely made wine, they can att- – and the other thing that happens is each one of these judges is sensitive to different flaws. So I, for example, am not as sensitive to volatile acidity, which is the early stages of vinegar. Some other judges Mm -hmm. are. I am more sensitive to bad cork. Some other judges aren't. And as you start going around the table, somebody just raises their hand and says, I'm sorry, but I'm really sensitive, and this has a really high level of this for me. We go back and say, oh, yeah, if I'm smelling it. Chances are people who are really sensitive to it are gonna get blown away by it. That's that may be a problem. Maybe we need to be more careful with that wine.
0: Yeah. And what sometimes what happens, and I've been on panels, and I know you have too, or the four judges, you get a gold, silver, bronze, no award, yes. uh, you know, one from each. You know, yeah. That, yeah, it happens every every now and then. And and if nobody wants to change, that's okay. You yeah. know, it's not like yeah. they have to, but in talking about it, sometimes somebody changes. I have not been on too many panels where, with the exception of one or two wines, um, where the the group wasn't satisfied with the with most of the awards. Where yeah. you say, you know, yeah, you're right. I think I should, I can come up a half a grade, and if you there come down are people a half a grade.
1: that I love judging with because I know that we have similar concerns about some of the wines, and we seem to have a very similar approach. I judged a couple of years ago with a guy where there were four judges, and three of us consistently agreed, and the fourth judge was consistently way the heck out of sync with the rest of us, and in a way that I ultimately felt reflected poor. And we eventually ended up removing his score from some of the wines because he was just missing stuff.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that we try to do when you're running a competition is monitor exactly that, and you know right. It's okay for people to have different palates, but if somebody's consistently out of touch with three other people, that, that tells you something about capability.
1: Well, the reason, the, the, I mean, one of the things that I find fascinating, and I know California State Fair does this as well as some of the other competitions, they, um, sometimes they give the same wine to a judge a second time.
0: We it's something called ghost wines. We don't do that anymore, but we used to, and we're going to talk about that a little later in the show. We're okay. talking about con- judging consistency because I think that's a really important thing. And yeah. you're right, you're right. And, because and, because one way to measure judges. I will
1: tell you then in later in the show, I will tell you a funny story about yeah. that. The, one,
0: one last thing I wanted to talk about is what wine competitions are not. Is that they are, you know, I do think that they they are ultimately good guides for consumers. But there's, mm-hmm. there's a kind of wine that doesn't get into these, I and mean, it's really sort of the high-end stuff because most high-end wineries, in most cases, they've got
1: there's nothing in it for them to enter. If you make a really great wine and it sells out every year at $100 a bottle, wine. why would you enter it in a competition? Right. And the truth of it is
0: sometimes there's some inexpensive wines that do very well in
1: competitions because sure. they're really good wines. Yep. So if your wine
0: yep. does really well in competitions and it's an expensive wine— but it does, even though it does really well, and some lesser "quote unquote" valued wine does really well too. You worry that you're going to be associated compared with to them. the less expensive and, wine. You know, right. So, so what you tend to get in wine competitions is the is the the vast middle of the wine world.
1: It is, and the and smaller wineries. And then the other element to this is, as you have said, wine competitions do offer some insight into. I don't think there are very many wines that get gold medals at competitions that are bad wines. Right. I think, There are certainly very good wines that don't get gold medals. Yes. For one reason or another. Bad day. It's better at a slightly different temperature. Uh, Judges in tasting 45 Chardonnays over the course of an hour and a half somehow thought it was an okay wine, but it didn't really grab their attention. It was next to a wine that had something crazy wrong with it that kind of colored the flavor of the succeeding wines. Lots of different reasons why... A wine competition is a helpful guide, but it is nowhere near a Bible on what to drink and what not to drink. That would be
0: us. And uh, we're going to take
1: some questions. Nowhere near or a Bible?
0: uh, The nowhere near part. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, we're going to take some questions, and you will see just how nowhere near Bible anything we are. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We'll take some questions soon. Stay with us. ¶¶ You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we are opening the mailbag such as it is and taking our electronic mailbag questions. If you'd like to ask us one, go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. You can also find us on iTunes. One little bitty click, you can subscribe for free. And by the way, if you are just discovering us and want to know what these two yahoos are doing, answering questions... Well, we're wine judges. You can trust us, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Or not. Or not. Well, I trust Paul because I happen to know he's a respected industry pro. He had a good reputation until he started hanging around me. He answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley College and the Color Institute of America. He teaches around the world. He is a very respected wine judge.
1: I am. That's hard least, to believe, but at it's least true. Some people tell me yeah. that. And Rick, uh, author of best-selling New York Times bestseller *Barefoot Spirit* about the wine business, as well as another book on wine, and uh, Capital Public Radio commentator on wine. You know tons about wine, and you've even chaired a wine competition for a while. I have. I
0: have. In fact, I still do one,
1: a smaller one. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: yes. So- uh, You should invite me to judge that sometime. Yeah. Well, I did, but you happened to be in Italy at the time. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Let's take a question. Yes, let's. <laughs> this one comes from Jeanette in Thousand Oaks. Mm-hmm. My husband's a good guy most of the time, but he's always getting into arguments about about wine, not screaming arguments or anything. He just gets stupid about
1: stupid things. That's just a male disease. It isn't is. It? <laughs> Sorry, Jeanette, you married a male. Yeah. Um,
0: the latest was this. He said a wine isn't a variety; it's a varietal. Is he right? He was going all nutso, saying you call a Cabernet grape a varietal, and the varietal of our wine was Cabernet. Jeanette says the wine was pretty good. It saved the evening. <laughs> well, Jeanette Jean, sounds like an okay person. And Jeanette, here. you're going to like this. Yeah. Because your husband was, he had it backwards. What <laughs> 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 Way to go. So you make sure you tell him that. Vari- it's a variety. The, wine, the grape, it's a variety. Varietal is an adjective. Right. So it's like a varietal Cabernet means it's a Cabernet made that from the tastes, wine made from the variety of Cabernet. Or that tastes like the variety. Right. So it is, in essence, like saying if you're saying the wine is a varietal, you're, it's like saying your wine is a smooth.
1: Well, or it could be that the wine is typical of the variety. Varietal. Right, right. Right. I mean, that's a yeah. But it, it, there's a bigger question here. Why is, he why, is in guy, why is this guy tying himself into knots about this one? Yes, I yes. mean, really, of all, you know, as 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 my wife told me when we were raising teenage daughters, you got to pick your battles. Why
0: this? Yeah, well, apparently, if I if I'm reading Jeanette's question, this is not the first time this thing <laughs> happened. Oh, that's I, right. I think she said uh, uh, the latest is in that question. So, um, Jeanette, what you need to do is keep him away from wine. You, or we, what you should do is drink lots of it before, you, get, of it before you guys go
1: and make him drive. That's right. Now. While, yeah, yeah, right. well, well. Yeah.
0: Uh, well. This is a question, Poor is f- It's a follow-up from our show about summer. Oh, good. From Jamie Garcia and Milpitas. Mm-hmm. You guys said keep wines out of the sun, and I've heard you say light is bad for wines. So how long? If it's been sitting in the sun for like 20, 30 minutes, have you killed it?
1: Yeah, quite likely. Remember that wine bottles are actually um, built to have a— An ultraviolet um, screen in the glass to help protect them. But sunlight, sunlight is really, really bad for wine. Even fluorescent lights in your home or in a wine shop, and it's always amusing to me how many liquor stores have fluorescent lighting because it's really bad for the wine, but those will affect it. But yes, wine can be affected quite quickly by sunlight. Yep. Yeah, and, and it it goes on. It, it, there's an there's another part of this that Matt was talking to us about before the show, in which he said, you know, how how long could a wine stay warm? How hot could it get before it would be ruined? And we were we had just come out of the uh, restaurant and gone into the car, and it was what ninety degrees in the car. Yeah, and he said, how long could here. a wine be at ninety degrees before it would go bad? And we said. Pretty much by the time it gets to ninety degrees, it's already going to start to taste a little cooked to your to your taste. You should really keep your wines under yeah. under seventy degrees at all times.
0: It really is now. If it's just light and no heat, you'll be fine. So if it's sitting on a counter, for example, in a cool house, and it's light in twenty minutes, the light's not going to hurt it at all. But the heat, mm. if it gets there, sparkling wine. Well, sparkling you, wine, yeah, sparkling yeah, yeah. wine. I say, will. if that's the case, open it and drink it. Just. Get, just, just as quickly it. as yes, possible. as fast as you can. Yes. <laughs> All right, we have a whole bunch more questions for you, but uh, we are going to move on because we would like to get to some really bad wine right. Oh, we can hardly wait. Stay with us. We will be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's such good dancing music, but it's bad writing music is what it is. You know, those guys are not nearly as
1: good as the guys on the trumpets.
0: Trumpets guys, they're coming later. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, well, you know, this is saxophone,
1: and I might
0: be a harmonica in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it is really horrible wine writing time. What really horrible wine writing okay, did let you me, bring us? Let
1: me, let me, let me do this one. From two sites in southern Napa, a perfectly taut balance of talc, peach skin, bay laurel, and intense lime pulp tartness.
0: Gee, aren't those descriptions just so common every day? I know exactly what all of those things
1: are. I don't want peach skin in my mouth.
0: Well, it, what does peach skin taste
1: like? Fuzz.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a... It's, it's a texture. It's a texture.
1: It's not a flavor. It's a texture.
0: And a taut balance of talc. peach. It's you know.
1: Well, and on top of that, just so you know, bay laurel... Is the California... And and as I understand it, those leaves are, in fact, slightly toxic. Yeah. So I don't think we want any of those in our... Although the leaves dried, you know,
0: and it it can become bay leaf, but uh, you don't eat them. It turns
1: out that lime pulp tartness is different Different. than lime tartness. I guess. I guess because Because when it's
0: pulped up, it's... Well, it's more tartly. It's, it's more tartly. It's a That's a tartlier pulp. <laughs> yes, I know. That's, the, that's that classic case of the wine critic has to be so smart, he can't just use regular words. <laughs> okay, uh, what do you got? All right. This is a, from a kind of name blogger. It's the name of a, who's been around, and this is a, an alleged review of the wine. It's, it's touted as a review. Okay. The 2000 vintage went through two years of barrel aging. They were racked every few months, leaving behind some of the sediment that drops during the aging process. In the months when the barrels of wine were not racked, they were topped. This 2012 vintage was bottled in the fall of 2014, blah, blah, blah. It goes on, uh, and the wine tr- transitions gracefully through bottle shock and is tasting delicious. So here's the thing. This, this is a wine writer who took the winery PR and just ran it.
1: Yeah, because— And there's
0: no description of their wine.
1: No, and the idea that um, they were racked every few months, leaving some of the sediment that drops during the aging process, there's only one reason you rack something. It's to leave the sediment that drops out during the aging process. Right. So to say that they were yes. racked, which then left – I mean
0: – you know, and, and this
1: gets back to my problem. Well, the problem I have with so much of the wine industry okay, is Okay, because your problem different. Because my problem much is way, yeah, larger. much longer issue yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. The problem I have here is we don't need know to, how to know – how to make a piano in order to listen to Beethoven on the piano, and we don't need to know how to rack a barrel of wine in order to drink the glass.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, lots of people are fascinated by the process, and that's great. I'm fascinated by the process.
1: But it is not about whether I want to drink that wine. Would you you have tasted this wine if they had racked the barrels every month and a half instead of two months? No way. <laughs> I'm sorry. You do not I if it had I don't left brook that kind of thing. Only eighty percent of the sediment that the, it normally leaves behind in the barrel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I in this dear this thing, Lord. So
0: it's it's both an intellectual laziness and this mis misassumption of what it is that people look for. But it also doesn't help you choose your wine. Which, no, it sure doesn't. Yes. All right. Well, that's where that's where we come in. You, we tell you what doesn't help you. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Speaking of not helping you, uh, then uh, we'll be right back with some more questions, in a history segment, and a few other things. When we return, stay with us. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Man, those guys are good. Take so a mu- break, guys. So, so much better than the Sax guy. The and sax goofy guy music, yeah. But, you know, it's only appropriate. Only appropriate. All right, that does mean it is time for the history moment of the week. What historic history do you have for us? Well,
1: Rick, I'm going to apologize in advance. This is more than a moment because you have heard and everybody's heard because we're approaching, I guess, next year is the 40th anniversary of the famous Judgment of Paris when the California wines were judged by a group of French judges and came out on top of some of the greatest wines in France. So I thought it would be fun to go back and talk about the original Judgment of Paris. This is a Greek myth.
0: It's a while ago.
1: And it's pretty funny, actually. I mean... Why this is this is what they should have made the movie about, because it's a story of how Zeus held a banquet for the marriage of the the mother and father of Achilles, right? Achilles, famous Greek hero. Oh yeah. You know, people thought he was a heel. Okay, fine. (laughs) No puns. Okay. So they invite everybody. They invite everybody to the party except, and doesn't this sound just a little bit like Snow White? Except Eris. The goddess of discord. The goddess of discord. Okay. You know why she's not getting invited. Yeah, but you know that's a problem because she's the goddess of discord. Yeah, but if you invite her... You got discord. You got discord. She is a problem. She is a problem all the way around. So she comes up with the perfect solution to her little social dilemma. She creates a beautiful golden apple, and it's inscribed across the apple, and it says, to the fairest of them all. Another little... Reference to Snow White, I mm-hmm. think, right? That well, could be. And it's apples. Yeah. I mean, remember the apple. So, well, anyway, this lands down in the middle of all of the gods and goddesses who are celebrating the marriage.
0: And let's remember, these are gods and goddesses. They have egos. They
1: have egos. Yeah, and so right. what happens but three different goddesses reach for the apple and say, that must be for me. No, of course it is. One of them is Hera, queen of the gods. One of them is Athena, goddess of wisdom and war. And one of them is Aphrodite. I wish I could do Barry White, the goddess of love, right? Don't do Barry White. And so they all claim the title. And they turn to Zeus, and Zeus realizes there is nothing in this for him. This is why
0: he was the wise god of the gods. He was the
1: king of the gods. Ah, That's right. So he looks around, and he says, I know we'll let this young guy, Paris, make the decision. Now, Paris had just sort of shown himself. He'd done a couple of things that the gods approved of. So they figured, this is a smart kid. So, Zeus says, you ladies go down and ask Paris. Paris was a mortal, by the way. He was a mortal. Yes, that's the, right. A mortal, not immortal. Yes, a-mortal. He was one mortal. Yes. So, there he's sitting there tending his sheep, and the three goddesses show up. Now, these are goddesses. They aren't, a, for a minute, going to play by the rules. It sounds a little bit like FIFA, doesn't it? It
0: sounds a lot like FIFA.
1: Yeah. So, Hera, queen of the gods, turns to him and says, Paris, pick me. And you will be the king of all of Asia and Europe. Athena goes. That sounds exactly like FIFA. (laughs) (laughs) Athena goes there and says, Forget about that. I'm the goddess of wisdom and war. I will give you success in arms and all the wisdom of the ages.
0: That one sounds good. Eh. Yeah,
1: yeah. But. Aphrodite. She knows knows how to play. Paris is a 19-year-old boy. She says, I'll give you the babe. The babe being... Fairest of the fair. The most beautiful woman in the world will be yours. And that is... So he gives the apple to Aphrodite. She wins. She wins. And she says the fairest of them all is this really gorgeous babe named Helen. Just happens to be married to somebody else. (laughs) Yes, minor (laughs) detail. Small problem. Paris swings over to visit um, Agamemnon and his wife Helen. Of Troy. And so, pa- well, Paris is actually of Troy. Oh, right, because she became Helen of Troy. And right, right. so Paris stops in, sees Agamemnon, on, and on the way out says, Listen, thanks very much. And by the way, I'm taking your wife back to Troy. S- beats feet out of town. Agamem- Ab- blah, it's easy for you to say. Agamemnon is furious, calls all his peeps together, and says, Boys, I've been insulted and that means we've all been insulted and he lands the entire fleet together and off they go and fight the Trojan war
0: the face that launched a thousand ships the face
1: that launched a thousand ships
0: yes uh if only somebody would attack fifa that way that's the for anyone who doesn't know that's the international soccer body who uh, many of them have been indicted
1: and in for we've, fraud and throwing could, their millions of dollars, we've around. been
0: able to tell they've been they've been crooks for years. Uh, That's right. Well, uh, 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 mine is uh, a different a different wine competition. Um, it <laughs> is, uh, this was maybe considered the first non-mythical wine competition. Okay, good. This was uh, in well, in actually not exactly sure when it was, but the po- poet, the poem that was written about it, it, was out in 1224, and back then that was what passed for a news alert. So this was probably two years earlier. Right. Um, And uh, it was called The the Battle of the Wines, but I can't say it in French, so I'm going to—the French word for it is the name of the poem. It was organized by the French king, Philip Philip Augustus, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he was really the only critic that mattered, but because— Because he was king. Because he was king. It's good to be the king. But he had one other critic with him, and it uh, was—we only know him as a British priest— and we should know that at the time the the French were pretty uh, scornful of the Brits uh, in general. Uh, this was before they fought a hundred years war that lasted far longer than a hundred years. But it also is that because the Fr- the British they didn't grow wine. The French considered right. them not, not knowing how to the, drink.
1: The British. Ruling class was in fact French at this time. Yes,
0: but yeah. it, you know, it's, it's still you know it's still yeah. the uh, the issues, all the issues. But once you move
1: out of France, you, who, yeah. Well, yeah, what and are you they basically
0: know? considered them heathens because he did not. So have who won? Wine. Wh- so well, so which French wine won? Well, that's the funny thing. First, according to the poem, the English priest got besotted, basically drank too much, fell asleep. Wait, the wine that was won, his
1: name. Bishop Richmond of Cushman? No pretty close though. okay just uh, wondering. <laughs> the
0: winner was a wine from neither France nor uh, nor Spain nor the Moselle but from Cyprus.
1: Because was, they paid the most money to FIFA,
0: they what they did was they had bribed them with a golden apple. <laughs> no, it was because it was rich, it was sweet, it was exotic. No, actually, Back in those days, remember we've those talked about are the this, old days. right? When wines spoiled so quickly, and the really sweetest wines were the one, the yep. best wines are the sweet wines, who didn't spoil so quickly. And yep. that's
1: that's what we had. Yeah, well, it is true in regular wine competitions. One of the things that I've experienced is. You taste a hundred and some odd wines over a couple of days, and a lot of them are these dry Cabernets, for example, or a bunch of Zinfandels, and you give, you know, out of 40 Zinfandels, you maybe give two gold medals or three gold medals, and then they bring you, at the end of the competition, you're getting down into the sweeter wines, and suddenly they bring you four late-harvest Rieslings, and suddenly you're giving out two gold medals, a silver medal, and a best-of-class to four wines. Because, man, after all that other wine, they taste taste great. They just taste delicious. That
0: sort of brings up a point, and we we started to mention this about the consistency of wine judging. And it's one of the things that uh, there's actually been some research. A guy named Robert Hodson. he's a good guy. He's a retired stats professor. He's a little bit of wine. uh,
1: Statisticians and wine tasting are a fabulous combination yes. because boy will statisticians make fools of wine tasters. Yes,
0: but here's the but there's I would argue a problem with it because we've done this we for for about ten years for ten years and we and they stopped doing it after ten was the state fair ran this we ran something we called ghost wines which yes. meant that somebody would get a, a mother wine was the wine that counted right and that would be somewhere in the flight and two and two other versions of that very same bottle were poured. Oh, it was in two, that same plan. not just one not okay. just one but two yeah.
1: um, so theoretically in a single flight of wines of say 10 or 12, 12 wines it would be a 12 wine flight three of the wines were, were the identical same. yes mm-hmm.
0: and the idea mm-hmm. was to measure how consistent wine judges were and he's done right. this over 10 years and the answer was not very not very right however um uh, there was one one of my favorite stories from one of the years when I was uh, overseeing this competition was uh, one very vocal and well-known judge who I won't embarrass was arguing with his panel. He was just arguing, arguing, arguing because he wanted it to have a gold, and the rest of them had bronze or no award. Right. And uh, you know, and so when that when there's with this unyieldiness, sometimes they call the head judge over to, just to help soothe things. You know, to make peace. And I I know where the the ghost wines are, and I look, and it's, oh, dear God. So what was happening was he was arguing over wine that wasn't actually ultimately ever going to get scored because it was a ghost wine. But the funny thing was initially he had given it a bronze medal. So the, You mean the mother wine, the, mother the original wine. So the rest of the panel right. was consistent. Right. The rest of the panel also had no award in right. bronze. So he
1: had the same wine. And on the third version of it, he hit no award. Oh, no award. So he gave it bronze, gold, no award. Right, and he's fighting with the other guys yep. about the gold one. Yes. Yeah, that yes. doesn't surprise so me. So that happens, Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You know. The Concours Mundial in Europe, which does a similar thing, although it's only one other wine in the same flight, but I've had that experience where I had a young woman, very, very opinionated woman who is a major wine buyer in the UK sitting on my panel. They send you the results not only of how you judge these wines, but they send you the results of how the other judges in the panel judge the wines. Now, I'd like to think I'm consistent, but I wasn't sure. And so I got these results, and I saw the first wine, I was off by three points, right? Out of a 100-point scale, I got—I gave it an 83 once and an 86 the second time. And I thought, you know, that's really not very good. That's almost, I mean, by the time you get to 86, you're really almost getting it. You're almost going from a B to an A there. Oh right. my, I wasn't happy with that. But the next two wines, the next day, same kind of exercise. I was only off by one point. And the next day, I was... Same score. So I felt, okay, at least I deserve to be here. And then I looked at my other judges. And my other judges, one of these women had a 17-point difference between, and again, wow. these are two glasses of the same wine. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. And gosh, I just thought, you know, that's just kind of crazy. Um, but, it, you know, and, and part of it is it's easy to get confused you know, you're tasting a lot of wines in a row, um, but ultimately, I think wine competitions, as you pointed out, they do screen this stuff. They do check on these judges occasionally. Word gets out. You know, this one person over here that we've invited for a few years may not be competent, or maybe losing it, or whatever. So competitions are continually adding new judges, removing old judges, but it's it's a far from perfect process because it's based ultimately on the subjective opinion of subjective beings, and those are people.
0: Right. And having said that, though, I think for consumers, they are a reliable guide in a certain way. And one of them is, as you said, uh, um, rarely do the, do bad wines get good medals. Right. And, and, you know— um, I tasted all of the best of region and all of the best of show. So there's nine... nine regions um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, you know the best red best white and they all get elevated um, and uh, and then all the best show all the wines that won best red right. best white best sparkling right. best rosé and they were all terrific wines. Good were wines all huh? really good yeah. wines so I you know I was actually very happy with our results Yeah. Um, and, and so you know those are those are all worthy worthy wines Is, were they absolutely the best wine in California well no they weren't because some wines weren't entered but were they certainly very well, good wines and,
1: absolutely and then don't forget that wines are always on an evolutionary scale right, so right the wine that is perfect today if it's entered in a similar competition 4 months later it will have 4 months more age there may be a new wine in that competition or one of the other wines has has changed as well yeah and basically when you have 50 to 100 judges trying really
0: hard to be fair and accurate it's a pretty good averaging for finding good one yeah i mean ultimate ultimately um, you know, there is that. It's, they're not, it's not like you and I, for example, of just having the two of us. You, you know it's going to be spot on. I was going to say perfect. <clears throat> perfect. Yes, perfect. 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 Well, uh, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> we're going to have some perfect answers to some perfectly difficult questions when we return. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We are going back to questioners from our questions from our listeners or questioners. Uh, If you would like to be one of those questioners, you can go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. I think we have a lot of questioners. We do. Well, we have people who question us. Yes. (laughs) Besides, 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 sending us asking us questions. There are many, many. There's people walk by the studio. They shake their head. They wonder. Um, uh, We have a question. This is also uh, in connection to our show uh, we did on on summer. a week or so ago. Uh, Richard in Thousand Oaks said, you said, use a cooler ice chest to keep our wine from getting too hot. But does it work the other way? Can we hurt a red by getting it cool too cold? Or can you freeze a wine?
1: Um, actually, I know a master of wine who did this as an experiment, and it was s- what he described was sensationally successful. Now, I'm not going to suggest that you freeze your wine, particularly not a sealed bottle with a cork because as we all know when liquid freezes, that liquid, water and wine is after all about 85% water, when water freezes it expands and it could crack the bottle or push the cork. But chilling your wine down to 34 degrees, I know they're a quite famous master of wine who did a series of experiments by taking partially filled bottles of wine. Putting him in his freezer for various periods of time, and he found that for a week to two weeks to up to a month, freezing the wine actually was the very best way of preserving. This preserving character. an opened, is an opened
0: bottle. An opened bottle. So, but that well, that will tell you too. So, a closed bottle certainly is going to do just fine. Yeah, as long but,
1: as it doesn't it, freeze solid. Yeah, and
0: and, and 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 don't do this with a sparkling.
1: Do not do this with a sparkling unless pants. you want a hand grenade.
0: Yes, but but in short, no, um, the really simple answer is don't worry about it if you've thrown your reds into the ice bucket and they got. Too cold? Just let them warm up. Yep. And you can warm them up by sticking them in your car for no. I'm. You don't want to do that. you don't want, <laughs> no, you don't want, you want to don't do that. Want, you do not want to do that because um, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, which you really don't want. You really don't want uh, fast ups and downs
1: on right on the, on the temperature. Uh, easiest place to warm up a glass of red wine is in the glass with your hand.
0: Yep. 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 Uh, or the microwave. No,
1: No. <laughs> Stop it, Rick. That's, <laughs> over the grill. <laughs> All right. Kind of charcoal. This is
0: this one's from Janice in Santa Rosa. We went to a wine where they were talking about this really sweet wine that rocked. They said they didn't usually tell people it was actually moldy wine. We didn't ask anything because we were drinking, but what was that about? Well, that's funny.
1: Well it is funny because the winery there is intentionally sort of downplaying what happened yeah, and yeah. and but it's a true story which is right. there is a specific kind of mold called Botrytis cinerea We call it noble rot noble rot and it grows some places on some grapes and what it does is it actually reduces the amount of water in a grape without reducing the sugar acidity or flavor at all and so what it does is it simply concentrates all those flavors and all that sugar into less juice and it makes for intense, sweet, powerful, rich, delicious, yummy dessert wines. Yeah, and,
0: you know, the, the mold actually adds some good flavors to it. And they a say it, honey it, bit character, yeah. Carrot, it's, yeah. It, so, there's, it, does, it does many things to the wine. It's the one good rot, although it's a very difficult wine to make. I'm sure, uh, Janice, that wine was probably not cheap.
1: Right. Um, because... Among other things, you have to pick all the grapes, and then you squeeze them, and there ain't much juice, yeah. because it's been hugely dehydrated. And
0: you got to catch them at the right time. In fact, you know, in some of the, the, the most expensive versions of these, they pick grape by grape, literally grape well, by grape. Well, not only
1: grape by grape, but they literally go through and pick the vineyard, only the grapes that have the botrytis on them, and then they go back again and again, right. up to 15 times, picking the same vineyard grape by grape to just get the grapes that have the perfect amount of rot on yeah, them.
0: Yeah, and it's funny that they were, he was sort of giving you that, the little wink, you know, the, the moldy wink, but, um, but which is kind of cute. I but, like uh, it. Yeah. I'd rather
1: have them do that than get right. all- Right, right, right. Yeah. I like I like these people.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it made, you, made it sound like a secret. That's sort of fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so whoever yeah. they were, there's a thumbs up from uh, Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. That's right. <laughs> you go back, you That's tell right. them that. <laughs> That'll, yeah. That'll help. Exactly. All right. This one is from Joel Berman in Los Angeles. He said, our waiter at a pretty nice restaurant kept on telling us about wine that had something like secondary flavors, I think he said. We just
1: nodded. What was that? Secondary flavors. Yes. Well Well, primary They've flavors. They've already gotten out of first grade. Primary flavors come from... Grades one through six. Yes, that's actually. And right. then secondary grades go from seven to twelve.
0: No, I, I think, was intermediate. I yeah.
1: <laughs> well, do they have intermediate yeah, flavors? Yeah, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, we are not helping here. <laughs> um, secondary flavors. The well, the, let's say what
0: say what, the, what we talk about in, in first for the primary flavors are the flavors of the are red,
1: blue. And You still yellow. not helping? <laughs> it's okay. Don't listen to Paul for a minute. <laughs> so primary flavors come from the pure fruit of the grape. Right. So pure and simple. Yes. Wine tastes pretty much like the grape juice.
0: Yes. And it is. And it is the, that flavors on younger wines and newer wines. That's what you're tasting.
1: Then when you get secondary flavors, it is those flavors that have been added by time and the interaction with things like barrels and bottles. And those are become, there are some complexing agents. It takes that pure, bright, fresh fruit and adds complexity, adds richness, often adds a little softness. It's much more typical in big red wines like Cabernet Sauvignon than it is in bright, fresh, lively young wines like Moscato. And that's what he meant by secondary yeah, and, flavors. Yeah, and,
0: and and partly they call it that because the the first the first round of flavors, those primary flavors, have faded a bit, and so right. you're going to
1: taste things like um, right, you
0: know, light layers of leather or wood
1: or you know, gosh, things like that. But gosh, if I were selling wine in a restaurant, I would not be talking about secondary flavors.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's a really great selling point. So this is a lovely wine with wonderful secondary flavors.
1: And frankly, and you know, I, for food pairings, it's you know, tough, I'd say for it. this kind of price, I want some tertiary flavors. Yes, I want. Yeah, Come so. on now, I'm. Mm-hmm. Not me, I'm going prime stuff. I you want those the, prime You want the flavors. primary flavors. Yes. You don't want those secondary gonna, flavors mess, to mess with you. Messing
0: around with my flavors. I'd rather have, <laughs> just give me the big stuff. Okay, That uh, that's going to do it for our... Uh, We're zipping up the mailbag? We are zipping that little... Bzzz. Zipping it up and moving along. When we come back, we are going to have a food and wine pairing for you, and it is really one of my favorite summer dishes. It really cool. is. You listen to Ball Talk with Brick and Paul. We'll be right back. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Brick and Paul, and it is time for our food pairing. And this is a dish that has so many of the things that I love in it. My friend, uh, pasta puttanesca, or spaghetti puttanesca is often served, but really any pasta will Uh work with it. And remember what's in it is all these things I love, garlic... Capers, chilies, anchovies, olives—it's a light red sauce, but whole it's a tomatoes. Light red sauce,
1: but a ton of flavor. A
0: ton of flavor, yeah. So it's so it's not it's not that big, thick, powerful. What we think of so the bolognese style sauce. It's a right. it's a different. Right. Um, but I love it, and I think yep. in summer it's one of my faves. So, Paul, what would you pair with this? Well, dish?
1: here's the thing: you got anchovies, which are quite high in salt, and you got capers, which are actually quite high in acidity. Yeah. And I actually treat this almost because of the acidity, I treat it, I think it's hard to get a red wine to match up with this. I love a dry Italian white like Vernaccia. Mm. Um, and it won the Vernaccia de San Gimignano, which is a tiny little town in Tuscany. Oh, yeah, the, the Town
0: of Towers. The
1: Town of a Thousand Towers. You know, they also have a
0: torture museum there. Do they? Yes. You would know this. I was there with a friend and his teenager. It was his teenager's favorite part of the trip to oh, Italy. I
1: thought it was what his teenager wanted to do you, to you oh, no, after traveling that. with yeah. you. No,
0: yeah. he, he loved it. Yeah. Um, and they, had, they have a, uh, they have a, a gelato. Vignaccia, <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
1: but dry white bright, clean, crisp, just kind of cuts through all these flavors, refreshes your mouth, and says back for more of those big powerful flavors yeah
0: i I agree with all that and yet and yet I've always liked it with sort of those Italian reds like and my favorite with it is the Montepuccio, Montepuccio on de Bruzzo, which is an earthiness to it you yep. know it's just yep. they it's a wine that doesn't get much respect among the Italian reds because it's considered sort of a rustic wine it comes in a from way. Further south, yeah, but you I know just what they like say it. About yeah, those that's wines. true. But I like it. I really like it with that. But I think that you know a good barbera, a Chianti classico, yep. d- just fine. Yep. The acidity with it, it is. Um, it is a. It's a a lovely. A lovely wine, and you know we we have another minute, so I I, I think this brings up in a way um, we we were talking about uh, the earlier today on on at lunch about um, food and wine pairings, and there's sort of two kinds, and one is that the one that sort of bl- everything blends together perfectly. Yeah. And, and then there's the one that's the cleanser, sort of the palate right. refresher. And in some
1: ways what we're using right here is you've picked the wine that you think sort of blends yes. with these flavors. right. And I've done the opposite. I've taken a wine that sort of refreshes or washes the flavors out of your mouth so that the flavors seem even more vibrant the next time you put them in again.
0: Yeah, and both of them are, are very good approaches. Uh, and one way you can deal with that is you pour yourself a glass of red
1: and a glass of white and say, no, I don't suggest that. <laughs>
0: Although, you know, what the heck, you know, if you're eating and drinking, you do... Do whatever the heck you want. I'm just saying uh, pasta puttanesca with anything goes well. Okay. Then is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Pissini. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for this studio use. As always, if you'd like to ask us a question that we will answer on the show, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. You can look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free with just a click. If you learned anything today, we hope it's trust us. We're wine judges. Yeah. No, really, Paul. You, you <laughs> trust should, us. You, should, yeah. you, can, you can trust us. I wouldn't <laughs> lie to you. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink with a friend. Or with us. Especially with us.